Welcome to The Saint Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Our vision is to bring hope to the people of East London, and I'm praying that you would feel so encouraged by this week's talk. Thank you so much for being with us tonight. We've been here all day. We've been all over Saint. <laughs> we've, I feel like we've spoke, we started speaking this morning. We haven't stopped speaking, and I could speak for days more. Um, David, tell us what happened like, what actually happened? We've heard about this. I mean, hundreds of thousands of people um, saw and watched online. You know, tens of thousands turned up and queued for, for days and nights. Um, it, it captured the attention of the world. Um, but what actually happened? Tell us the story of what happened. Yeah, Al, I first just want to say thank you to everyone for just your hospitality all day long and Friday night. I've just loved being in your church throughout this weekend and uh, and appreciate so much your desire to to know, you know, to talk about this. Please hear our hearts. We're no experts on anything. Uh, all we are, are is we are eyewitnesses. We laid eyes on something that we had only read about in awakening history, or longed for in our prayers. Um, but I have often said, I, I never really dreamed I would see it. I thought I would pray and that maybe my children would see a new work of God in their day. And maybe my grandchildren would live under it, but I never thought I would get to see it. And I just feel so grateful to God, so delighted to bear witness so that if anything, that whatever hopes you have, uh, for a work of God's grace in this generation, that you would feel those hopes validated, that they are real. This is not some sort of ivory tower theoretical thing. And that if you have low hope, that if you struggle with despair over your life or over those you love, that somehow something of that would at least be hit a bottom or it maybe be raised a little bit. That's what I was experiencing so much in those days is that God is hearing us. He is really wanting to come to us. He desires to rescue this generation. He's not written us off. He's not given up. Though in many ways I feel like that we've grown so wayward that we would deserve his wrath. And we do. Outside of his mercy we have no hope. But he is so merciful. He is always wanting to restore what he has made. He is always longing to renew everything in the cosmos, including you and me. And I feel like I've just been given this sign that is just, you know, we've said many times that everything that happened in Hughes Auditorium was the fruit of prayer. And I have never been more motivated to pray. If that's what God will do as we pray, then I want to pray more than I ever have in my life because this is what we need. We need outpouring of the presence of God. We love his presence. It was as though whatever we did, you know, when we would just present the gospel or we would present a call to consecration or a call to discipleship in the life of the church, a call to missional living, it was just putting a filter under outpouring. The presence of God was just pour through that filter and awaken that in us. Whatever we, the, the, the preaching was not at all the thing. The message was really, it was the presence of God that was moving and doing in us. And I've said, you know, we all have our vantage point on what happened. For me, it was getting a text from Zach Miracrebs, 
who had preached that morning in chapel, compulsory chapel, three days a week, 10 a.m., Monday, Wednesday, Friday. That particular day, Zach had preached. He said that he ran out of time, kind of landed hard, and just said to the students, you know, listen, anything that I'm said here today, if you want it, you'll need to pray. And so the they, chapel ended. They left for class at 11, but some lingered. That moment of some lingered was the, what broke the dam. That there were some students who were just willing to wait on the Lord. A few went on to class but came back and soon worship resumed. Zach sent me a little video about 1120 or so or a little later of um, this, the worship. And it was sort of more had come in. And this was after a lunch meeting. And I remember I texted him. And then I called him and I didn't get an answer. I thought, wow, he's probably really caught up in this. So I thought, okay, I think I'm going to go. And I just got in my car, canceled my afternoon on the way. And I got in there, got in sight of him. And he came over to me, gave me, and just sort of fell in my arms. And I could feel him shaking with, he was crying. And I realized, whoa, what is this? What is happening in this room? So I just sat down and began to take it in and watch. And it just began to just become so evident to me. This is no extended emotional response. God is here. Jesus is orchestrating this. Jesus is among these students. They began to open up and confess. They continued to stay with it. And I spoke with that afternoon with Kevin Brown. He's a friend. We go to the same church. And I just said, you know, Kevin, I don't know. I kind of believe this is something very authentic. If you don't stop it, I don't think it'll stop. And, uh, yeah, I know. We'll, we will stay. You know, I said, no, honestly, I think this could go through the night. Really? And he got Sarah Baldwin, who's in the room, came. And a few of us went down to the basement of Hughes. And he said, say to them what you just said. I said, really, do you think this, this will go through the night if we if we just stay with it? And so we kind of, we just all said, I think I can stay. Called security, kind of made arrangements. And the students went through the night. The next day it grew in strength. Friday, there was another chapel, a woman who had come to faith in a, in a, a campus revival, shared that story and stories of her missionary life and answered prayer, just added logs to the fire, sturdy strengthening of the basis and the substance of it, just gave it, you know, and, uh, and then from there, they grew over the weekend, people in the neighborhoods, the, the city around kind of heard about it, started coming, so that Sunday night, we needed to go to another venue across the street to Estes Chapel, the seminary. We went over there on Monday, it went up to five venues, immediately just opened up to all these spaces, which grew throughout that week till we came to that second weekend when every, every space was full. The front lawn of the university was full with a big jumbotron. People lined up six to eight hours waiting with traffic, with a mile, a mile or two of cars waiting to get into the point this little town of Wilmore had to close the town. There's just literally not one inch more of parking anywhere in the place. Nothing left. It was just out of capacity. And um, the thing, had re- the whole outpouring had begun with Gen Z, with students. It sort of expanded out to the world. But on those final days, we sort of said, no, this is coming back to students. And it returned there. And we ended with this collegiate day of prayer, which was this simulcast that had been scheduled for a year and a half or so before. But with the the attention had gotten on social media. That grew up to four television networks in America, picked it up. 59 nations in Latin America went into, uh, broke metrics all throughout the Middle East, into Europe, and into China. We have no idea how many millions of people watched that final night. We had tried to 
uh, to plan for 1,500 students from all across the country in the room with a global simulcast. It would cost tens of millions of dollars. The whole thing was for free. It was as though the Lord had just prepared a bookend, a, a, a commissioning. We had held community under outpouring for those 16 days. And on the 16th night, it was like that vessel was turned over and poured out in one big cannon blast around the world for everyone and anyone to say, you know, this doesn't spread by social media. This spreads for us getting on our faces and crying out to God for it. And so we just said, just you, you here, you take it, you have it. And this is the thing we saw 35 or 40 campuses during out during the, those two plus weeks that were experiencing outpouring. It wasn't just Wilmore. This is something you all are experiencing. This is happening in a lot of different places. I really do believe that we are in a day of a, of a fresh wind, a fresh move of God. And it's this seek the Lord while he may be found kind of moment. It's a right moment for us to have these kind of conversations, to lean in. We want to come and talk to you about it. We want to grow in it together. We're just wanting to encourage each other. While the, while the hour is, is upon us, while the day is here, we want to press in and say, yes, Jesus, this is the desperate need. We need more of you. We believe you're coming. We believe you're helping. We believe you're hearing our prayers. We want to pray all the more. Please come to us. Every indication of your generosity. We want to thank you for it and ask for more and wherever he you know what we're needing is what happened in those 16 days and nights in Wilmore we need thousands of those outpourings all around the world for decades that's what we're really needing and so we've been encouraged to trust him for that well we'll come back to that um picture hold that picture in our in our collective um thoughts but I think I, I'd love us to just draw in um, I think you've got some friends with you from um, the university, they just let you go off the plane. So, um, guys, why don't you come on up? Come on over. Yes. Yeah, so these are Asbury students. Two just graduated yesterday. Went from their... Went straight from their graduation ceremonies to the airport. And landed today, and here they are. So we're so grateful. Who, who graduated? Which of you graduated? Can we just like make some noise for these guys? <laughs> so let's just start. Let's just introduce ourselves. Nathan, why don't you just introduce yourself? What, what year of school you just finished and, and come down the way and then we can start this conversation. Hello, everyone. My name is Nathan Tallman. I'm currently studying biological science education. It's a mouthful. Um, <laughs> And um, currently just fi finished my junior year, so being a senior next year. My name is Lena Marlowe. I just graduated um, with a major in sociology and social work. And my plan is just to go to the seminary across the street. My name is Ava Miller, and I just finished my freshman year at Asbury, and I'm an elementary ed major. My name is Isaiah. Uh, I just graduated with a Bible and theology degree. All right. So y'all, let's just sort of fill out the picture. What I'd love to do is just create um, a composite portrait of what you all experienced. And I'm going to invite you, just each of you, to answer this. Talk about any way you want to get at this, like how you entered in. What was the experience like for you to kind of step into an experience of the outpouring of God's presence like this? Or you can talk about what it was that held you there. 
What was it that just moved you and drew you? What did you observe in your friends? What were you seeing happening? What were you experiencing? Just just kind of create a picture of uh, so that people can get a sense of of what what was happening, what you were experiencing. Isaiah, you can start. So, uh, so Asbury, as uh, Dave mentioned, has three chapels every week that you're required to go to, but you get a certain number of skips. Um, so I skipped the chapel uh, because I was studying for an exam. So uh, in retrospect, was not the best decision. But uh, so I skipped that chapel, but Ava actually texted me like 30 minutes after it had ended and was like, hey, there's still people here and they're worshiping. Um, it's been really cool, but I have to go. So I uh, saw that and was just kept studying because um, I didn't know I was going to keep going. Uh, and so honestly, I, I actually looked back the other day and I have a video on my iPhone of me trying to prank one of my friends in the cafeteria while everybody else was having an outpouring, like an hour after it started, I was like trying to kick his chair out from under him. Um, so, but then it was about 1245, which is like, uh, almost two hours after chapel was ended. Um, and I got a text from one of the RAs at Asbury. I, I worked in Res Life and he said, you guys need to get to Hughes as soon as possible and send this out to all your guys. So this is a little bit before I had to go to class. So I just dropped in. Um, and it wasn't anything that just like hit you in the face when, or at least for me, when I walked in, it was just a very sober spirit in the room. Um, and we were praying over some people who were struggling with mental health. Um, and then Zach, who kind of pastorally spearheaded a lot of this, especially at the beginning, came and tapped me on the shoulder and asked if I'd be willing to help lead worship, um, which I've done some at Asbury, because the worship leaders had to leave. So I didn't even know what the sermon was on. Um, I just knew that something crazy was happening. So it, it was really wild because, as, as you mentioned, 19 students stayed, um, and then it just kept growing from there. So when I walked in, there were about 30 to 40 students, and that's about two hours after this had been going. So it, it really started slow. And so I went up at about one, and then we were sitting on the altar just playing songs really uh, haphazardly with four guitars, and then the altar started filling up, so we had to get it move up to the stage. Um, and when I walked down from the stage at about five, I would say there were roughly four or 500 people had packed into Hughes, and it just kept growing. Um, and so this has already been mentioned, but in the very beginning, it was very Asbury-focused. It grew to be a very... Uh, I guess global, you would say, but really just people coming from all over. But at the very beginning, um, it was really special in a unique way because it was awesome to see people come down to the altar that I didn't know. But working um, in residence life, I know the, the guys that lived in my dorm very well. And I could see the chains breaking in them because I knew the chains that they had. And it was just really, really sweet and special to be able to sit there and pray with guys that I knew had been, been struggling with things and see them experience the joy of the Lord. Um, and another thing that it did was really just soften my heart towards the people around me. I, I think a lot of times, at least I know on campus, I could move through the day just worried about my next quiz, my next test, what my next responsibility is. But then to hear the depth of some of the things that, that people that I just passed by every day were experiencing um, was was really heartbreaking, um, but it was also very beautiful because you were seeing new life brought to those um, in restoration. So, yeah, it, it was, that first period was uniquely special, I think, for me, just because I saw my friends experience something, and I saw them change. Um, 
and it, it was also awesome to see it continue to grow. But that was kind of my experience in the first few days. Um, my experience, like Zay said, I was there at chapel that morning and, um, really like it started like as a very like individual, like heart posture thing for me that the Lord had been working on, um, for a few months. He was just really leading me into, um, obedience. And there was just a lot of fear for me of what saying yes to the Lord looked like. And, um, that morning before I had gone to chapel, I had some just like extra time. And so I had spent some time, um, and God really led me to be able to say yes to him for the first time without like holding back. And so sitting in that chapel after Zach had really given us the invitation to, um, to just, to like not leave until you, um, just talk to the Lord or not leave until you, um, hear for the Lord, request upon the Lord. And so just sat and lingered and, um, and I just got to say yes, like again and again. And like at that moment, like yes, just looked like going and praying with a friend, like just three or four different people across the chapel that had just stayed. And um, it was just such a sweet moment that like the worship had just continued to keep going. And I was just like experiencing the joy without fear, um, that chain being broken of fear that had controlled my life for so long, um, to just say yes to the gentle Lord that was guiding my life. And so that's really how it started for me. But then I had, um, to leave and I didn't know what would happen. I was sad to leave, but, um, I had gotten a text while I was babysitting from my roommate that had been there and had stayed. And she was like, Ava, like, like you've got to get back. Like we had been praying for revival and our campus has been praying for revival for a long time. But she was like, Ava, like, like this is really something. And so I remember just like running back to Hughes auditorium that day and being like, like walking in and there being like hundreds of students, students that I might not normally see in chapel students that I know are just going through really hard things. Um, and a specific moment from that very first day, um, that was just really special to me and I'll never forget is there's this one girl on campus who had just stood up and told part of her story and, um, our hearts were just broken for our sister in Christ. And we, we all, all of the ladies in the audience just like surrounded her and laid hands on her. And my mom actually was there and, um, and she was praying over her and like just that sweet tenderness of like what the Lord was doing and how he was like bringing restoration and healing to just all of these people's lives and my own life and just students that I that I see on an every day and I see how their heart is being broken like by the world but like God was just doing such a work of restoration and that continued like every day and it looked very different like at the beginning because like what Isaiah was saying of like we knew our friends stories but like as the times like transitioned and like week two, I remember standing in Hughes and looking upon the audience and like there was a big Brazilian flag hanging in the back and I was standing next to some people that had come um, from Brazil and I was just in awe. Like I just, I couldn't, I couldn't speak and I just like just seeing how the Lord was bringing people and continuing that restoration in ways that we could have never imagined. It was just so much bigger than our own little community. And like, 
it was just breaking every barrier of like what I thought God could do of what I thought, like how I thought God could answer prayers. It was just a testimony to like how his faithfulness is just so true. Um, and so, I mean, that's just changed me and I'm just so honored that like I had, like I get to continue to live in that communion that I learned then. So I don't know. That's a little of my story. Elena. Yeah, so for me, it was a pretty typical um, morning, um, but I was actually part of the gospel choir um, that was scheduled to sing that morning, and so we typically just pray and go through like the order of chapel um, with the chapel coordinator and the gospel choir director, and so we sing two songs, and they actually asked us to come back after Zach um, spoke to do like a response song. And so me and two other gospel choir members, we came back on stage after he spoke in some goodness of God. Um, and then Greg kind of like, you know, told everyone to, you know, leave and be dismissed. Um, and the speech was like pretty short. Like it was usually our talk is like 25, 30 minutes. Um, but Zach ended pretty early. So we were all kind of like, oh, I guess we're going to go to class. Um, and so me and two other people came on stage and we sung goodness of God. And I really felt like, it was like a very thin veil that we were pressing into, but we, like, usually if you're a worship leader or you're seeing worship happening, they communicate. Like, you look at each other, okay, we're going to the next song, or okay, it's time to end. Um, and we were not looking at each other. Like, we were just, <laughs> we were just worshiping, um, Father. And so, um, for me, it felt like we were all just in our own individual bubbles. Like, we weren't, um, collective yet. And that's not to say that we weren't on one accord, but I feel like everyone was dealing with their own business with God. Um, and so I feel like that was very much like an act of obedience um, for it to start. Like, I feel like there was a level of faith that needed to be exposed um, for the spirit to just feel welcomed. Um, and the spirit's a gentleman, so he's not just going to come rushing in just because he wants to. Like, he, he wants to be welcomed in. He wants to be um, you know, received. And so after a couple of, it felt like a couple minutes to me, but I think it was like maybe 45. Um, we individually just walked off stage. I felt like it was my time to just sit down, sat down. Um, and no one was at the stage for about like an hour. And I looked at my phone. I was like, oh my gosh, I missed psychology. So I skipped psychology class, skipped lunch. Um, and again, it was like, maybe at that moment, it was 11 o'clock, maybe like 11.45, reaching 12. Um, and there were still like only 10, 15 students and Zach and, um, a couple of other administrative staff. And, um, I remember praying to God, like, okay, I'm not supposed to leave yet. What do you want me to do? And he was just like, just keep seeking me and pray. So I just prayed, interceded, just asking him to just come and meet everyone, um, and meet me. Um, and I, I kind of got a a sense that there was going to be waves of the spirit to come in in different ways, um, and I think the first wave was just the obedience to stay and for people to just be at the altar and just be prostrate and welcome the Father into their hearts. Because um, if we don't welcome him first, like, how do we expect him to do it as a church, as a body of Christ? And so um, that's really what happened. And maybe two, three hours later, it was like about three o'clock. And I was like, oh, what's happening? And I was like, uh, like, are you coming? Like, is this happening? Like, are you about to move? And he was like, it's happening. And so I just trusted into that, kept praying, looked at my friends, and I was like, oh my gosh. And I think my level of faith was just more prompted to the fact that, like, I stayed. And I think sometimes, like, in my Asbury experience, it's, um, 
been kind of hard to just stay and like be present and just worship. And I think the spirit was really teaching me like, just be in my presence. Like I know your desires, I know your needs. Like if I control everything, what what makes you think that I won't provide for you and provide the space um, for you to just rest and worship? And so that was my experience. And um, I think just like Isaiah and people were saying, like it was people were going to classrooms, like telling each other about it, texting each other. And it spread pretty fast by like maybe 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock. Like it was filled with students and seminary students and faculty and staff. And we didn't know what was happening. Like we weren't planning anything there wasn't like scheduled songs yet. Like we literally were just like second minute hour, like asking God, like, what are we doing next? Like, let's just keep pressing forward. And um, yeah, so that was fine. Um, yeah, for me, I was not at that chapel. I had to be in the schools for my uh, education degree. We had to get participation hours in the schools. And in group chats, people were mentioning people were still in chapel. I was like, okay. Um, but I got class at two and a quiz. So, uh, but I felt the Lord just prompting, go, go and see what's happening, what I'm doing there. And I went and right when I entered the room, there was just this, the spirit of the Lord and this genuineness toward him of just wanting to seek his presence and seek his face. And I think what I really, really loved the most was just people didn't care about what was around them, what was happening, their schedules, but all they cared about was worshiping the Lord because he was all that mattered at that moment. And, and for me, I just kind of, it's like, is this what kind of heaven looks like? It's just everyone coming together and like, holy, holy are you, Lord, worthy are you are. And, um, from that point on, all I wanted to do was just stay there. I just wanted to sit at his feet and just embrace his love that he so freely gives us that we don't deserve. And he he showed some things in my heart that I had to let go and I needed to work on because in order to get to the Father, I need to take down those walls, take down those barriers that I have up. And really, he just showed me like, Nathan, I love you so much and I want you and I desire you. And it was just so special and just seeing other people being freed and him speaking those words over them. And um, the Lord was just really working and it was just so powerful to see how he wanted to encounter us in such a deep and personal way. And what, what separates, like what, why did that happen? I don't know, but all I know is we had a humble posture of Lord come. Lord, it's not our accord, it's not our strength, our will, whatever we do, Lord, it's you. And that was something super beautiful about the outpouring was this um, theme of radical humility. That God, would we be low and you'd be exalted high above everything else. That you'd be over everything and you'd be the center of it all. It's not about the worship, it's not about who's speaking, it's about you and you first. And another question that kind of came to my mind was like, why Asbury? Like, why, why the small town in Wilmore, Kentucky that probably nobody in the world has heard about? Um, and I think the reason is it's because he wants to start something in the lives around the world, the globe, and that he, he wants it to spread like a fire because he wants people to know him 
and his love. And that is worth it all. Like everything else doesn't matter but him. And I think when we come with that humble posture, it's like, yeah, what our schedules, what our pride, um, how other people view us and stuff doesn't matter. He matters and he needs to be exalted. And I just, that's my prayer is that it continue to spread. Like this radical humility would spread to all people and everyone would come to know him. So amazing. Yeah. What a beautiful reflection. So let me test out this question with you all. It's been over two months now since it ended. I'm going to just, I'm going to kind of cut at this in a different, couple of different ways. And you just grab hold of it where it, it strikes you. But what are you most treasuring? What are you carrying with you from it? That you're just like, you know what? I will hold that in my heart. I will treasure that for the rest of my life. Or how are you different? How are you affected by this? Or what did you see that, uh, that happened in those 16 days and nights that just leave you feeling like, you know what? In the presence of God, this is, what, this is what can happen. This is the hope I have now for my generation. In the presence of God, this could happen in my generation. So what are you treasuring? How are you affected? What are you carrying? What hope do you have now for your generation as a result of it? And I'll let anybody go first. Nathan's got the mic, but if somebody's got something ready, yeah, Ava, you go ahead. I think for me, I mean, I think I, for the first time, learned what, like, steadfast prayer looks like and how you can live in that constant communion with the Lord and how that, like, constant prayer is not exhausting it's actually like exhilarating and life-giving and peaceful and like exactly how I'm created to live um and it was just like prayer was there was just like new light to it of um not only like was it praying all the time but like it was also like a new reality to prayer of like God doesn't, um, like he truly hears me and just a really like a reminder that, um, like every time I pray to him, like, like he really hears my voice, like as a daughter of him, as a daughter of the creator, like, like I am heard and I am seen and it doesn't mean, um, that it's an answer is going to look like the answer that I request, but actually like prayer is just such a way to like be with him and be in communion it doesn't even mean I need a response that's like physical it's just like that honor of being with my God like what a gift um and also just like something I'll never forget is uh along along with that like aspect of prayer is like 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 doubt is gonna come and like yes like I'm I'm gonna doubt and like I'm ashamed of that, but like I remember the last night um, at the collegiate day of prayer, I was doubting that the Lord would speak to my brother. And, um, and like he had just been someone I had been praying for for a really long time. And we all have those people. Um, but 
I, I just didn't believe that he would do it now. I believed he would do it someday. But my brother was actually in the room and, uh, I got up from my face, um, just praying and distraught that the Lord wouldn't do it now. And he just proved me so wrong, um, because he met my brother in that moment. And that's just like, it's such a pointer to the Lord that like, like he is in control and like we cannot control it. And like he hears every desperate cry. And so like we must seek him. And so I think I walk away praying differently and I hope I never pray the same as before. So. Yeah. The first um, thing that came to my mind when you asked that question is just, the passage in Isaiah where he's like, woe, woe is me for I'm a man of unclean lips. And I think that after you experience something like that, like you can't go back to mundane worship. You can't go back to sometimes reading the words, sometimes um, asking for prayer, sometimes interceding, sometimes being postured, like giving God the actual glory and honor that he deserves. Um, but I mean, if we look in the passage in Isaiah, like, he, when you're in the presence of God, like you can't, you can't lie. Like you can't, you can't, um, be anything less than like human, if that makes sense. So I think after I experienced that, there's like a standard now, like there's a level of, um, commitment that is needed from you. Um, and it, it was just, it's crazy because I feel like most students were serving in some type of way or helping with worship, like Isaiah said, or, um, helping with people bring in water bottles, like, as the body of Christ, we all have different responsibilities, whether you think you do or not, like God's gifted you, he's blessed you with things. And so I think at that point, um, my mind was like, okay, God, what's next? Like, what, what do you need me to do? What is the life that you're calling me to? And I think the most beautiful thing that we can look to is the life of Jesus. And so now I'm like literally every day, like asking, like, how can I look more like you? How can I please you? Not how can I please my parents or, um, my professors or my friends or my mentors, but like, how can I please you? Because you're life giving. You're the one who's given me these gifts and talents. You're the one that gave me this opportunity because some places don't have like, they don't have the space to worship. They don't have the space to pull out their Bible. They can't speak the name of Jesus on the street. And so there's a level of like, um, just like, like we have, um, what's the word? Like we're able to do that and we shouldn't take that for granted. And that's actually like so, um, beautiful of him to give us that, that way of life. So we shouldn't take it for granted. Um, for me, one of the most, um, things that stood out to me and that I'm going to remember for the rest of my life is just, um, I got prayed over by my dad, which was really special. And he said a phrase in Mandarin, um, Jolie, and it means here I am. And the Lord was speaking to me that I've been right next to you this whole time, um, through those times of depression, of loneliness. Um, I've been with you and I'll always be with you. When you, when those fears come back, when the anxiety tries to strike um, and you don't know where you're going or you feel like you're completely in the dark, I'm here with you. And going forward with that, um, just knowing that he's right next to me as a friend, and as a father, um, that he loves me really much and that I have nothing to fear because he's with me 
And that's the promise he gives us is that he will be with us through whatever we face. And it might not be easy or might not make sense at the moment, but he's holding us and he's making a way for us. And then also just um, feeling inadequate or unworthy um, to do what he has in store for us. Um, Sometimes he calls us to things we don't feel like we have the tools for, um, feel that we are good enough for it. But um, again, he's with us. And that's all that matters is that he will, he will strengthen us and he will make us strong in our weakness. And I think holding on to that has been awesome because it's like I can live in this freedom. And I can have this life and life to the full because I have nothing to fear because my God is with me. Yeah, I think uh, it was really cool to watch the outpouring overall because I had a lot of friends um, that had trajectory changing moments like they were clearly going one direction and God clearly changed the direction they were going um, but for me it was a lot less trajectory changing um, at least drastically and more just seeing God show up in a hundred different ways and meet prayers um, one of the things that Nathan mentioned earlier was this theme of radical humility um, I remember Zach telling me that humility never goes out of style like we're just meant to continue to lower ourselves, decrease ourselves so that he can increase. Um, and so that was definitely like a stamp of the, uh, the revival. But something that came, uh, came along later, um, and these are kind of the two pillars that I consider for my ministry now, like what I strive towards. Um, and maybe the biggest thing I got out of it is, is that radical humility. And it seems kind of like a paradox, but we would see God do these miracles and, um, the miracles aren't the heart of the gospel, but they give evidence that the gospel is true. So he's, he's showing his power. So, uh, I guess I read Acts and I see all these incredible stories of miracles happening and I think, wow, that's really cool. And I, in my head, say I believe that these things can happen. But seeing them happen in person um, just gave me this vision of radical humility that God wants us to walk in, but also this this Christ-like authority that we're meant to lower ourselves, but he also has something for us that we can step into. And he, he truly wants to enact his power and enact his love on this world. Um, and I think those two things of humility um, and authority are, are two things that were really impressed upon me. Um, one of the things you asked was just moments or things that we remember. And I spent a lot of my time over on the, there were kind of like two sides of the stage and one was like the planning for speaking and one was the planning for worship. And I spent a lot of time over on the worship side, just praying for people or leading. And I remember I wasn't even on the stage um, for this part, but I was over there and we had just sent up a new group um, that had gotten prayed over. And they started singing the song, uh, Agnes Dei, which is holy, holy, are you Lord God Almighty, worthy is the lamb, worthy is the lamb. So they start off, there's some piano and some singer singing, and then the singers step back from the mic, and the, then the pianist quits playing, and just acapella voices went on for over 30 minutes until we shut them down from singing by reading scripture over them to, to drown it out. Like they would just not quit singing those praises. And one of the things, one of the, it was just that it was beautiful and that I'll never forget the moment. Zach looked over at me and was just like, dude, just don't ever lose sight of this. Like whenever you're down, like this is such a glorious moment. But one of the other things moments like that did for me is I've always thought of heaven as like kind of bland. 
I like it sounds like I know it will be perfect, but there just seems like I have so much left to do. Like I've never been okay with dying. And in moments like that and being a part of that community was the first time I could say like, I, I would actually be okay if I, if I had to leave right now. Like I could do this forever just because it was so beautiful and being in the atmosphere, no matter what happened during the day, you'd come in there and there would just be this love and peace that would be, um, so tangible and, uh, it made me all right with heaven. So keep going. I've got one more. You want to, you want to ask a question now or you want me to hear it? Do another? No, I think, I think we're going to come into land in a moment and pray, but, um, I, I wanted just to, um, uh, ask if you guys will pray for us in a moment or we'll do that we'll have that opportunity but David I think that the question which we're all asking um, we've talked a lot about what happened and by the way if, if, you, if there's distracting that's my friend Thomas who is a member of our congregation he's allowed to make as much noise as he wants to um, and any problems that come find me if you're distracted um, David I just wanted to say um, like what we're really cautious about doing, and I know we've talked about this, is, is monumentalizing or memorializing what yeah. we learned in Wilmore. Um, and um, there's, a, there's, a, there's a phrase, the guy who invented the internet, I can't remember his name, but he, he, the first, one of the first things he, he said when the internet was invented is not like, this is for the military. He basically typed in, this is for everyone. And I just sensed um, when we were in Wilmore, and I think we've we've talked about this in the days since, in the weeks since, what started in Wilmore wasn't for Wilmore. Um, we, you talk about the Vegas thing, like what stays starts in Vegas, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. The opposite was true. So the reason we're talking about this today is um, because it's a bit new, because our generation, I think the first generation in the, certainly the digital world in the West, and it, and often those of you under the age, hands up if you're under the age of 30 in this room, just raise a hand, okay? So most of the room, um, we haven't lived through a significant wave of the Holy Spirit washing across sort of the UK. Um, it's been a while since the last great outpouring of the presence of God. And, you know, you look back in the history of the UK, it's the Lewis revival, the Hebrides revival, um, which was generations ago. Um, but historically, these things are quite common and they always um, are the things that, like, bring the nation back to God, you know, and there was the Great Awakenings. There was, we were, we were driving past the London Fields earlier where Wesley and, you know, um, Whitfield would preach to tens of thousands of people at a time when London was less Christian than it is in a weird way now. It was just drunk on gin and prostitution on the streets, you know, hugely problematic gambling. The nation gripped by uh, bondage and yet God raised up ordinary men and women, you know, in that time who, who spoke about Jesus and just outpouring of the love of God and he's done it before and he's done it regularly and we haven't seen it for a while now I'm a surfer by I'm a surfer I used to surf when I was a kid and when there's no waves you're waiting for a wave to come you're like I'm just gonna sit here for a while the gaps mean the big set is coming like there are moments in the ocean is still and you're like where are the waves what's happening and then you look and you see out on the horizon like three or four really big peaks coming and i wonder if there are reflections from you david i think as you as you track with these and any of you guys can jump in like what started in wilmore clearly isn't ending in wilmore because we're experiencing ripples here like in a big way like what is your sense for what god wants to do next in our generation um Jump in, any of you guys. But Dave, I'll start with you, and I'll come into you guys, and then we're going to come into land, and we're going to pray. Yes, I find myself living in this uh, beautiful, disorienting tension of 
living in such a desperate moment. It, it, is, it is utterly heartbreaking to see the, the anguish of Gen Z. My mother, who's 86 with Alzheimer's, fell and broke her clavicle and, her hip and, and uh, three ribs. And I was taking her to the emergency room in Lexington. And when she, they were doing the intake, and for the first few minutes, I could not go back there. So I was waiting in the waiting room. And while I was waiting, a young man came into the emergency room, got himself there in the very middle of a panic attack. He was absolutely in panic. And he came in and went to the reception. And he was beside himself, just weeping. And he was just saying, I'm, I'm, I wouldn't be as loud as he was. I'm having a panic attack. Is there anything you can do to help me? And I was utterly seized by looking at this. They took him back immediately. But in that moment, I thought, there it is. There's a symbol of Gen Z. Just so utterly undone with the, with the, the journey that they have been on in their generation and just crying it. it is there anything anyone can do to help me? And I don't think that's an exaggeration. I think all the sociological evidence and all the research bears that out. So we're living in that moment. And so, so sadly, this generation is just saying, I can, I've given up on finding that in the church. You're just a bunch of people that I don't even know if it's for real what you're saying. And I hear about all of these leaders falling and morality failures. And all you're trying to do is sell your books. You just want following. You're just trying to build something. You want fame. You're like everybody else. You're just marketing to me. I don't know if you're true or not. And where were you in the civil rights? Where were you in the race crisis? In the 60s, the church led. Where are you now? You're not there. Where are you? you do you get anything in the real life of my, that I'm facing? Do you get me at all? That's what I feel like Gen Z is wanting to say to the church. So in that way, I am so troubled. I'm so burdened. But honestly, after these 16 days and nights, I have never had this much hope. I've never had hope like this. That God is hearing us. I've never had hope like this. Everything, I've said it all day long. Everything that happened in Hughes Auditorium was the fruit of prayer. This is the thing. People would walk in the door from Michigan, Nevada, Florida, Mexico, all over the world. And they wanted to lay eyes on it because it was the answer to their prayers. We've been praying for this. And they just needed to come and see it. We've all taken some fresh hope. That, that God is not done. He is not, His mercies still are toward us. They are fresh. If that is what God does when we pray, then I want to pray all the more. And I've watched, I've seen how Gen Z, how people are, are, are affected by the, by the undiluted presence of God when they actually are in a room that is flooded and filled with the presence of Jesus what happens as addiction breaks and anxiety falls off and relationships are healed and hope is renewed it's you it, it's hard, it's almost impossible to hold on to that stuff in the presence of Jesus the love of God just breaks it off it just falls away i've been given so much hope this is what we need and now i know this is possible I've witnessed it. I've laid eyes on it. It makes me want to pray and trust all the more. So, yeah, I really think Al is right. I, I have come to believe, and 
that these, these are days of hope. These are days to, to just move, to set, to just reorient. I, I want, I'm wanting to just kind of restructure my vocational life around this. I want to just, I, I feel disoriented after it. I don't really, you know, I can't, I don't even know what's normal anymore, really, totally. I, it's just like, and I really like it. I like it that way. I, I love this sweet disorientation. Life's off kilter, and I like it because I don't want to just go back to the normal plodding along. I want to be somehow reoriented toward this new hope, this belief that in in these you know, in the darkest of hours, the light shines all the brighter. And I do believe that's where we are. I believe this is a time when the light of Jesus is, is shining. And so, yeah, I, I, I just encourage all of you, whatever way in which this meets you, to just have us to hear these testimonies, that you would just allow for it to just be fuel to your hope. And for us to lean into prayer and lean into community and lean into Jesus more than we ever have. I just, I have one quick thing to add. One, I feel like an element that's kind of been hinted at that hasn't been specifically stated is just the, uh, the incredible amount of hunger that we saw. It, I mean, I don't know how else to describe the fact that people were driving 10, 15, 20 hours were flying in from other nations just because they were hungry for the touch of God. Um, but specifically for Gen Z, I think that was, there were a couple of elements that played into that. I see our generation as being like maybe the primary pillar that we care about is authenticity. And this was a space that felt authentic. It didn't feel coercive. Um, maybe the best word I could use to describe it is that it felt invitational. The worship wasn't um, imposed upon. In fact, when I was leading worship, there were several times where I was trying to change songs or wanted to stay on a song and the crowd would just sing a different song. And <laughs> there's nothing you can do when 1,500 people decide to sing a different song. I, our sound system is not powerful enough. But there were so many ways that it was so meek, like the guitars wouldn't work or the mics wouldn't work or the piano wouldn't come through. But it didn't matter because what mattered was that they were being invited into worship. Um, and I, I think the paradigm we've worked off of for a long time is that the music needs to be loud enough so that other people sing along so their voices won't stick out. But it's almost like people relished the fact that they could sing out and their voices were heard. Um, and I don't know exactly what that means, but I, I do think that the hunger and the authenticity and the um, having a space that just felt like an invitation instead of you were imposing something on them or trying to coerce uh, people into something was really powerful. And I think that those need to be elements that um, maybe play into it, but also just an encouragement of there is a, a sincere hunger. And I do think a lot of people have become disillusioned with politics and a lot of other ways that we typically try to satisfy, um, satisfy issues and, the hunger is there, and if people see that it's real, they will respond. Um, and so, and I hate to keep going on a tangent. The, the, the final thing is that I have heard so many places, and even here it seems like, the almost the only element outside of the Holy Spirit being here is just making space. Like uh, my brother's church, he came and visited the Rob for one day, went back, and they, they just stayed and played a couple extra songs. And it turned into a week long of every single night for about seven hours 
200 people, which is more bigger than the church even was, would come and sing praises. So I think if our hearts are right and we just make those spaces, it may not always happen, but just trusting God that if we make the spaces and our hearts are humble, that he's going to do something really cool there. Um, those were a lot of kind of jumbled thoughts, but they're all things that I feel like have been really present in, in the movements I've seen. Amazing. Um, thank you guys. And look, we're going to, we're going to, um, respond now. And the, the reason we're going to respond is, um, the same Jesus who pulled back the kind of the windows, the blinds on the windows at Asbury, um, and met a bunch of hungry people is here. And the same Holy Spirit who pours out on the day of Pentecost and throughout the history of the church and lives in you wants to overflow from you. And the same father who runs to meet both the prodigal younger son who's run away from the father and the older brother who's hidden in religion and tiredness and maybe got a bit burnt and hurt is there. And that father wants to meet you tonight. That son wants to be nothing else but the Lord of your life tonight. And um, there's nothing special about Wilmore. We love these guys. We're grateful they're here. But there are only two places in the universe where God wants to be on the throne. One is the throne at the center of heaven, where day and night the angels cry, holy, holy, holy. And the other is the throne that's your heart. And that that throne is in your free will to choose to let Jesus sit on it. And so you might be here tonight and you might be like a kind of long-term professional Christian. Like you might be a pastor, you might be a church guy, you might be like, I don't know, you've sort of, you were born at the back of church during a worship service. <laughs> um, or you might be here tonight and you might feel like actually um, you just, you're just a mess and you, you know, you need Jesus. Um, we're all in both of those categories probably at the same time. You know, every one of us here needs more of Jesus. And I was reading this morning, I love this, what Jesus says in Mark 10. Um, the question Jesus says in Mark 10, um, 51, um, he says this to a blind guy at the side of the, of the road. He's crying out, he's calling out to him. Um, he says this, what do you want me to do for you? And that's the question I just feel tonight. It's like, what do you want? Like, what do you want? What do you want Jesus to do for you? Um, he's here. He loves you. He, he wants to meet with you. It's the same Jesus, the same God who was being poured out at Asbury is being poured out here tonight. He's here for you. Thanks for listening to this week's talk. If you'd like to find out more, give or connect with us, visit our website, saint.church. Have a great week and we'll see you soon.